Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Um, You remember last week where I said I could preach on this passage for four months? Well, the good news is I'm not going to do that. I'm only going to preach on it for four weeks. Um, So, uh, and here's why. It's because, A... Uh, again, I've been excited about how many people have really bought in to understanding the Old Testament really is about Jesus. I think we didn't really recognize for a really long time how to connect the Old Testament. We only knew it in regards to the stories that we've heard and the moral of those stories and trying our best to be like David and not like some of these other people and so on and so forth. But I know we've really begun to see that the Old Testament is about Jesus, that we have one thread that follows us. But this is such a core, core text to understanding that, that not only do we need to now become aware that the Bible is one story and the Old Testament is part of that story, we need to see our place in the midst of that. So that's where we're going to begin this morning. And I want you to kind of just stick your bookmark in 2 Samuel 7 because, again, we're going to be here for the rest of the month. And so uh, the good news is last week, if you remember, we already got the main idea out of the way. Do you remember the main idea from last week's sermon? It is that God is more faithful than we think. Therefore, our confidence in him should be higher than it is. That serves well as kind of an overarching big idea that we're going to see unfold in a multitude of ways as we unpack this text. This morning, we're going to focus in on this motif that we find all throughout scripture of land, seed, and blessing. Uh, We see that over and over again, uh, land, seed, and blessing, and see really how it unfolds all the way from Genesis to Revelation, obviously tracing it through as we follow in 2 Samuel chapter 7 specifically. Next week, what I want to do is to help attempt to see uh, the Davidic covenant blessing, which what we read in 2 Samuel 7, as a response to the curse of the Mosaic covenant in this context. Then week three, we're going to take up the sovereignty of God and the role of the priestly king in salvation. And we'll conclude our track through 2 Samuel 7 and really 8 by tracing the Davidic covenant through to the new covenant. So that's where we're going to be for the next few weeks. And in the midst of that, let me encourage you, please read this passage. Reread 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 8. Read it every day if you have to. Chew on it. We are going to read the same passage we started with last week. But let me encourage you, feast on this passage of Scripture. So if you found your place in God's Word in 2 Samuel 7, would you join me in the honor of standing as we read, understanding that this is the word of the Lord spoken. So we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, at that last sentence, which in the New King James Version begins with the word also. Here's what the word of God says. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come for your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke 
to David. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Lord, we do thank you indeed for this, your word. We thank you for the ways in which it renews our mind, that we might come to know you more truly, that we might come to understand more desperately and clearly, Lord, our dire need to be reconciled to you. Father, we ask that your word would do its intended work among us, your people, building us up into our head, which is your son, in whom and through whom we have every single spiritual blessing. Father, would you increase our faith? Would you cause our love to abound to your glory? We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, everyone has a story, don't they? In fact, we hear that in our culture all the time. Write your story. If you don't know that you do have a story, you do. We all have stories. But the reality is, that story and seeing our lives in the light of story is really essential for understanding our meaning and purpose in the world. It's why, ultimately, in the atheistic view of things, no meaning and no purpose exist. Uh, This morning, part of what we'll hopefully encounter in God's word is a reminder that everyone is part of a story. A grand narrative that exists from Genesis to Revelation in the course of time that God himself has actually wrote before the foundation of the world which we are a part of. Now, I know the Lord will be gracious, and I hope that you and I will both labor together to hear and remember and find our place once again in the course of that story. This morning, our task, again, is to consider the parts of the promise we read this morning to see how these are always parts of the promise. When we find the Lord making his promise to his people, what do we find? We find these three things. We find land, we find seed, and we find blessing. Now, sometimes we just find one, sometimes all three, but it doesn't matter because really when you have one, you have all three. So let's consider uh, first by turning to Genesis. And remember that there's a reason that this is promised. The reason why we have this promise is because this is what we lost. In the garden... We lost land, seed, and blessing. In the garden, what we lost was land, seed, and blessing. The land, obviously, is obvious enough. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you can see it for yourself. God, in the beginning, he creates all things, right? Initially, the creation was formless and void. God forms it on the first three days, creating light, separating it from darkness, separating the waters below from the waters above, creating the sky, separating the waters below so that dry land appeared. He gave form to that which was formless, So this is followed by him filling that which he had formed. He fills it with stars and satellites, that is, things that orbit other things like our moon. He he makes the sun and he gives it dominion over the day. He makes the moon, which reflects the sun's light, to have dominion over the night. He fills it with fish, birds, and then on day six, he fills it with animals. 
then we know that there's this glorious pause before he reaches the pinnacle of all his creation. As all creation sits waiting to see what God will do next. There's that final scene, that glorious act of creation on the sixth day where he creates mankind. Man and woman after his own image. After he created them, he commanded them to imitate his creative work. What were they to do? They were to form and fill. They were to have dominion over the earth. They were to form under God's perfect formation the rest of the earth. They were to fill the earth with image bearers just as God himself had formed and filled. So the Lord in chapter 2 of Genesis, he makes a temple in the garden for, for man, for Adam specifically to work from. In fact, the, the, the garden itself was the temple. He and Eve were to work there to, to, to start and keep it as logistical headquarters of the great garden project. The knowledge of God was to fill the earth as waters cover the sea. Which actually brings us then to seed. The offspring of Adam and Eve in the garden, the entire garden project is it's newly launched and it's yet to be accomplished and consummated. The, the garden project necessitated seed, offspring. So in chapter 1, after the creation of man and woman, there was this commission to fill the earth with their progeny. To fill the earth with image bearers of the Most High God. Why? Because the commission in the garden was to fill the earth with the knowledge of God, which the image bearer carried with him wherever he went. In fact, I want to turn your attention to Psalm chapter 8, because one way we can see this commission is to see it through this word. Psalm 8 is, is the, the consummate man. This is a picture of the image bearer in its fullest form. And look what the image bearer says in Psalm 8. It says... O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So then there's this allusion to the creation itself working backwards from day six here starting in verse seven. It says all sheep and oxen. Even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is your name in all the earth. See, the consummate image bearer, the one who was to bear the image of God, was to fill the earth with more image bearers so that all the earth would come and say exactly what Psalm 8 says, O Lord, how majestic is your name. Keep in mind this, this biblical notion of name, right? As it's meant in its biblical context, not as we just use it, but, but truly as the representation of one's reputation. A, a name as a communication of one's character. And so, to lead all creation in the proclamation of the majestic name of God is nothing short than leading creation in the worship of the one true God. 
God's name was to be known and his name was to be honored. And this is so far everything we've lost. See, if you're not familiar with the biblical story, you know this is what was possessed in the beginning. It's what we had. This is land, seed, and blessing. But they were lost in the fall and the sin of man. Adam, as our covenant head, he transgressed the commandment of God. The prohibition of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when he did so, he broke covenant, bringing upon himself and all of his progeny the curse of that covenant. So that every human being was still born bearing the image of God, but no longer reflecting it as we ought. Instead, we bear God's name like funhouse mirrors. Distorted, twisted, broken. When Adam transgressed the covenant of creation, the land, especially the garden temple as the headquarters of the knowledge of God, it was lost. And Adam and Eve were exiled from the land. We see that term exile, cut off, cast out over and over again. It's constantly the threat against the seed. And so what do we do when we left the garden? Corporately, humanity built cities and towers to whose name? Our own. In an attempt to make a great name for ourselves. So not only was the land lost, the seed was lost. And the battle of the names ensued. And the rest of the Bible tells that story. So we have the land and the seed in his name. But I still need to say something about the blessing. The blessing was possessed before the fall by Adam and Eve in the garden. God's seed in God's land honoring God's name was the epitome of the blessed estate. And interestingly enough, if you've attended our Wednesday night class, you're starting to hear some similarities here. God's people and God's place under God's rule. If you've noticed, this is just the same thing, just using different verbiage. This is how it was in the beginning. This is what was lost. God's seed, God's land, honoring God's name and happy and holy bliss. The blessing was set to spill out from the garden to the rest of creation as all things would come to sing in their own perfect key. How majestic is your name? Okay, that's a neat story. But why does it matter? Well, listen, I I want to show you this because it's true. The strength of any worldview is its explanatory power. And I know I'm not supposed to give you more than two syllables to fill in the blank. So I forgive me for that. But it really is true. Hear this. The strength of any worldview is its explanatory power. Your worldview should actually make sense of the world that we see. So, does this one explain things? Well, what's the problem with the world? In a nutshell, the problem with the world today is the denial of God. The world is filled with people who rebel against the Most High God. The world is filled with the loving, benevolent, kind, gracious rule of the Creator, but it's now filled with violence instead. Anyone see that recently anywhere? Does that have explanatory power? Does that coincide with your reality? See, it's it's not just out there though, is it? 
When you're honest and you search your own heart, you find that same seed at work in you. Outside the garden, things are not right. Instead of the blessing being extended to the rest of the earth by exercising the perfect dominion of our Father, instead we still build towers to attempt to make a great name for ourselves. Instead of filling the earth with image bearers, we do everything we can to come together to find our own place, to live under our own rule, and to be our own person. There you go. Those are the threads we need. We're almost ready to follow them to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and beyond, but I want to make two more important points at this juncture that should be considered, particularly when we talk about blessing. And I made this point two weeks ago, but we really have to get this. I want to come back to this. The first is this. I'm afraid most of us, including myself at times, really don't understand the term blessing. We really don't. Let me tell you what blessing is, friends. Blessing is nothing less than the rule of God. That's what blessing is. Blessing is living under the rule of God. As we think about God's people in God's place under God's rule, it's actually his rule there that's the blessing. See, it's not often as we think. We think blessing is this concrete outworking as it's represented in the law itself. If you obey me, then this will happen. You'll be victorious over your enemies. Your land will be fertile. You'll be prosperous, healthy, and wealthy. We see that as it comes to us in the law. But, but if we bypass the reality that those blessings work as really God's concrete example of his loving kindness towards his people, then we actually miss the whole point of blessing. The blessing is not fertility, as wonderful as that is. Nor is it physical victory, as much as we prefer that to being slaughtered. The blessing is knowing God. The blessing is right relationship with God. The blessing is living under his kind, benevolent, and perfect rule to the glory of God. Remember what your purpose in life is? You remember why you were created? You were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do you glorify God? It's simple. It's by knowing him rightly as he's revealed himself in his word. And in knowing him, you know yourself. In knowing him, you know your utter dependence upon him. In knowing him, you know how he graciously provides all that you need. In knowing him, you come to know love, justice, kindness, and goodness. Blessing, hear me, blessing can never, ever be divorced from God's righteous rule. And and I think that Even as believers, we attempt to separate the two as though I can trust in Jesus and if I do so, he's going to give me the girl I want or the child I want, the job I want, the peace in society that I desire. Therefore, I will trust in the name of Jesus. But friends, that's not why Jesus came. He came to rescue us from our sins that we might be brought near to God, that we might have access once again to our Father, that we might again be His people and His place under His rule. And if you are God's people in God's place under God's rule, you are blessed. The man of the gallows getting ready to shed his blood, who is God's son, is in a blessed estate. 
Though he faces death, though his enemy thinks he has victory over him, he is blessed. And then you have the man in the mansion. All the money in the world, servants, health, power, all that the devil, the world, and the flesh tempts you to believe is blessing. And yet he has not God. And friends, he is utterly cursed. See, we know this biblically, don't we? We understand that, sure. But then let me ask you, why do we evaluate so much of our lives in terms of blessing in regards to things we have moment to moment? I mean, if I asked you, what is your blessing? Describe to me how you are a blessed person. How quick are we just to go to the stuff we have? The way our relationships are working out. In accordance with my perfect will or not. Why do we measure blessing according to our health? Does God not love me when I'm sick? God has given you perfect health, saint. Because he's given you Christ. Listen, I'm not trying to create some false dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual. But the reality is... To desire those things, to hold of those things that create an expression of God's steadfast love, separated or divorced from knowing God, loving him and living under his rule, is to completely miss out on the whole point and source of blessing. So if we follow this thread from Genesis Revelation, we also see regarding blessing that, that listen, blessing consummated is our rest, Full and final blessing is rest. And so the end of the garden project, is, it's often referred to as rest. We read about rest at the beginning of the book of Genesis in chapter 2. We read about rest throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We know that this idea is carried forward in the New Testament. So we've got to connect these pieces together. What ultimately is rest? It's God's people in God's place under God's rule, which is that blessed estate for which you and I were created. Except, rest is that state consummated forever and ever without end. So thinking biblically, we've already entered into that rest. Why? Because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has actually caused eternal life to break into this present evil age. So we already have, in a sense, that which we wait for. I know that's confusing, but that's, that's what the Bible teaches. But even as we labor for that rest, holding fast to Christ as we've sung, we do so knowing it's already secured. That it's certain that we actually have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what the Bible says, therefore it's what we believe. By the way, this is why the Holy Spirit can communicate through Paul to the Thessalonians. That we are to what? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But Cody, you don't understand, my life is so cursed. I don't have all the things that I need to be happy. I grumble and complain all the time. And listen, that's me. Listen, I grumble and complain all the time. What I'm saying is that I shouldn't. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's in that moment, my denial of what God has said to be true about me. 
that right now, by virtue of faith in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, that I really have every spiritual blessing. And so if I have every spiritual blessing, friends, what is it that I'm lacking? Nothing. So either God's word is true or my heart is true. Which one are we going to believe? God's word. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to stop grumbling and complaining. Boy, I wish it did. But it doesn't. But I can preach to myself or yell at myself, depends on the moment, and remind myself, mind, you are a liar. (laughs) Attitude, you are a liar. Hard at times, you are a liar. That which you are telling me I need in order to rejoice, I do not need, for I have all things in Christ. Friends, there's quickly coming a day when my Redeemer will stand on this earth and I will see him face to face. Then, and only then, will I know what I actually need to be happy. You realize we're deceived, right? Do you get that? We got to preach to ourselves. When at last the earth is cleansed for all who make a name for themselves and the earth is filled with those who bear the name of of the Redeemer, then all of creation will sing the eternal hymns of praises. Then all creation will sing how majestic is your name in all the earth. The reality is we have never known a satisfaction so deep or a joy so real. It's why the scriptures say that these troubles that we face are light and momentary. Friends, it's not because God's ignorant to our struggle. As I said last week, he knows better than we do the depths of our sorrow. Yet he's able to say that they're light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that will be revealed. That there is a realness that surpasses that which we currently experience and feel that's light. That really our affliction on this earth is like the mist in the morning when you're driving down the road. You, you, you may not be able to see as well and then all of a sudden what happens? The, the sun shines and where did it go? Friends, that's your troubles. It looks so real, doesn't it? It looks like you, you can't drive because it can obscure your vision, but still, it's, it's not. I mean, not compared to the eternal weight of glory which God has in store for us, that which no ear has heard or eye has seen or mind of man can imagine. It's like that. Our troubles on this planet, they're like mist. And friends, can I tell you, anytime I come to the place where the Lord has brought us right now, I think of this song It's by a band called the Grey Havens. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're great. If you like kind of folk music a little bit and and Christian music, I I think they're fantastic. The song's called Jack and Jill Part 2. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. The refrain just over and over again says, it's as if everything sad came untrue. Guys, there's, there's a day quickly approaching where everything sad will be made untrue. Our deepest hurts, our most memorable betrayals, the failures, brokenness, every pain, all the suffering you've experienced, there is coming a day when it will actually be untrue. 
All right, that was point number one. So we got to go quickly, right? We got the rest of the Bible. We haven't got out of Genesis yet. You worried? I know what you're thinking right in your heart right now. You're, you're just saying, Pastor Cody, let's go all day, right? Cancel my plans. I'm not that hungry. Let's just stay in here. My kids are in the nursery. That's all that Matt. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right. Let's quickly skip to 2 Samuel chapter 7 so we can see that this promise of land, seed, and blessing, uh, it's assured. It's what we see in 2 Samuel 7. So we see this in our text before us. First, um, you have the reference halfway through verse 9. Pay attention to this, right? So this is, this is why we just spent all that time talking about name. Because look at verse 9. It says, And I've made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. This is allusion uh, all the way back to Genesis, where in chapter 11, you've got the mighty men, the men of renown coming together, the Tower of Babel, as humanity gathers together to make a name for themselves. And, and this is actually supposed to be humorous, if you've ever read that story, that that God actually stoops down to see their big old tower. Did you ever notice that? God actually has to stoop down from heaven in order to catch a glimpse of it. And he disperses them throughout the earth. But his response to the prologue of Genesis, again, as we've seen over and over again, is Genesis chapter 12 and the calling of Abraham. I know we've read it over and over again, but we still don't get it yet. So we've got to read it again. The blessing of Abraham, as we see it in Genesis chapter 12, is really response from Genesis 3 to 11 and all the corruption and sin that takes place there. In Genesis 3 through 11, sin enters and it progresses to the level we see at Babel. The Lord intervenes and he calls Abram and look what he says. He says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you, oh, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Maybe we'll get it back. Maybe we won't. I'll just have to be louder and you might have to get closer. Um, So here's the plan. The Lord calls Abram out of this land and into a new garden sanctuary. He's going to plant Abraham's seed, there we are, in this new garden sanctuary. Praise the Lord. I didn't know my voice was going to hold up that long. So so he calls Abraham out of the land. Remember, new garden sanctuary. He's going to make them a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, so that they become a new source of blessing for the entire world. And so back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We have this statement said to David. And have made you a great name. Immediately we think Genesis chapter 12. It's a continuation of that promise to Abraham. So now we go down to verse 10 of 2 Samuel 7. Which says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And will plant them. By the way, those two verbs in that verse are the same two verbs used in Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. Where the Lord takes and plants Adam. The author of Samuel takes those two verbs and uses them in regards to Israel, this people. He is going to put and plant them. Reference to the garden. Verse 12, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. That come for your body is actually a reference to Genesis chapter 15 verse 4 where Abraham was concerned about not having anyone from his own body. Instead, make my servant the recipient of the blessing, Lord. And the Lord says, no, yet from your body there will come a seed. So, we see land, we see seed. 
blessings are interspersed throughout this, David interprets the promise of the Lord here as the promise of blessing. In fact, look at the very end of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, and read those with me. It says, And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. Uh, For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. I know I'm flying through this, but it's because I want to get here. Uh, David's prayer is one, just a response to what the Lord has said. And in that, we see land, seed, blessing again. And then David prays that the Lord would do what he's promised to do. Land, seed, blessing in his name. And what I'm trying to do this morning is stand before you and argue that that prayer and that promise actually has been answered. That's what we see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see the promise of land, seed, and blessing answered. When was it answered? It was answered when in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, the seed. Born under the law, under God's rule, in order to redeem those who were enslaved by the law because they were lawbreakers under the righteous wrath of God in order to give us adoption as sons and daughters. I'm going to go quickly here, so I need you to keep up. Matthew chapter 1. This promise given to David says, All of this will come to fulfillment through your son. I will establish his kingdom. Remember, What's the kingdom of God? If you haven't heard it yet, you ain't listening. The kingdom of God is nothing less than God's people, good, and God's place under God's... See, once you see that, then you understand that when God makes a promise to establish the kingdom of the Son of God, He's actually filling or promising to fulfill every other promise He's ever promised. See, there's been multiple covenants, but there's only really ever been one promise. Every other promise is a type of that one promise that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ, which ultimately gives way to the kingdom of God. God's people and God's place under God's rule for all eternity, knowing the blessing of God as all of creation joins in the praise of his glory. That story is awesome. And here's the beauty. That's exactly what the New Testament writers saw. We just don't quite see it enough. In fact, the whole New Testament, you know how it starts in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1? You blink and you'll miss it, but you shouldn't. It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Boom. You could just stop there and take up everything that's said from Genesis 2 to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and understand it. That's what Matthew is saying in the very first words of the gospel. Everything that is promised to David is now coming to fulfillment in the Christ. Everything. Land, seed, blessing in his name. And then actually we move on. If you follow the New Testament, you see that the gospels clearly proclaim this. You see it in the book of Acts as the message the apostles went forth proclaiming. Think of that first sermon in Acts chapter 2. Where, where do they go? 
They actually go immediately to David. They say, this Christ you crucified by handing over, this is the one God has planned from eternity past. This is God's man. He is the righteous one, the seed. And they go on to quote David and say, David wasn't quoting himself when he wrote this. David saw corruption. Jesus Christ didn't. Paul makes the same point in his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. That's why there's no other name under heaven given among men by which anyone can be saved. This new seed, the son of David, seed of Abraham, forms and fills the entire earth to the glory of God. That's where we're at. So at the beginning, I promised you a story. This is a true one. In fact, this is history, the way it should be told and taught. In every school, every child should hear this story. Every person on the entire planet needs to understand that they have a creator. And right now, if they do not know Jesus, they stand condemned under his wrath because they stand as rebels at enmity with him under the covenant head of Adam. But praise be to God, he offers his son. And any who trust in the Son are brought back into right relationship with God the Father. He's provided the new Adam, established a new covenant, who is bringing to bear all the promises that God has made throughout the scriptures. It's already accomplished through his work, and someday it'll be consummated at his return. Okay, so quickly, where are we? Well, listen, if you turn to the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives the apostles what we call the Great Commission. You heard of that before? It's actually just a recapitulation of the first commission. It's actually a commission to form and fill. Go form and fill in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Form how? Go and make disciples. (laughs) Go and teach those who experience the new birth coming to faith in Jesus Christ to obey all that Jesus Christ has taught. Filling this place with the seed of Abraham and everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Well then, how are we to form the same way? Make disciples. We are to be speakers of truth. Proclaimers of justice. We are to constantly point all people toward their creator. Even showing them what they should be and how they should live. That, friends, right now is where we are at in the story. As we long for the day where the story ends. Which actually, the ending of this story, the beauty is, is really just the beginning. Because we know the end is what? The book of Revelation, right? What do we see in the book of Revelation? In the book of Revelation, we see the promise of land, seed, and blessing consummated. (laughs) Revelation chapter 21 says this, You know it well, but oh, dwell on these words. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Friends, if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, first come join our Sunday school class because we're going through it. But 
at least this week, go read chapter 21 and 22 and be reminded that this story ends with a new garden. And it's a new garden where God once again will dwell with his people, God's people, in God's place, under God's rule for all eternity. Now here's the problem. I got to end the sermon. I know you're thinking that's not a problem, but it is for me. Because here's the reality. The reason why I have to go over and over this again is because you're sitting here right now hearing these words and thinking, hopefully, if you know the scriptures, you're thinking, that's true. Praise be to God. But here's the problem. If you don't connect your story directly to that story, it's not going to have the effect that the Lord intends on our lives. In fact, here's the application for us this morning. You have got to live caught up in the story. You've got to. Here's what you have to see. Don't you see this? Listen to me. Your job, your vocation, your time with your family, your hobbies, the work you do on your house, whatever you do, they are either caught up into this story and therefore they become an exercise in the glory of God and enjoying him forever or they're somehow wrongly divorced from that story. Hear me. No part of your life is meant to be divorced from the story. Every single part of your life is directly connected to this story. All of your life is actually an unfolding of that story. And it will be told as such for all eternity. So let's live like it. Your life has purpose and meaning. And my fear is we get that for an hour and a half on Sunday and maybe an hour on Wednesday if we have time. But when we go to work tomorrow, we... We divorce all of it from the story. When our weekends come up and that Saturday night comes and it's, it's, it's my time, we divorce it from the story. We begin to live as if we are our own people, building our own place, living under our own rule. Friends, hear me. Every single part of your life must be caught up in this story because you exist again to bring glory to a glorious God who loved you and gave himself up for you. You don't live for you. You live for King Jesus, which also simultaneously means you live for your neighbor, your brother and sister in Christ who need you constantly to encourage them, lift them up and point them back to this glorious and wonderful story. Can we start living like our life has a better purpose and meaning than living for ourselves? I certainly hope so. Would you stand as we close? Father, Lord, the, the, the reality is I, I can't possibly do justice to the grandeur and, and the majesty of the story that you have told us in your word can't possibly do justice for the way it helps us understand the majesty of your name, that your reputation, your character, as we've come to know you in and through your Son is displayed. Father, would you help us just to catch a greater scope of your redemption? 
Would you help us to be people who understand that we live now as a kingdom of priests in a holy nation, that we are set apart to proclaim your excellencies to a world that is still rife with violence, brokenness, and evil? Lord, would you help us find our place in your story and to live boldly for your glory? Giving thanks in his name, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.